Well, welcome back to our LinkedIn live stream. And I'm actually live today, and that's why you're seeing all of the different issues that we're having as I set this up. So let's get started here. This is one of my favorite topics. It's called infrastructure plan. And what it really means is how do you not win yourself out of business? And I really mean that because as a small business, regardless of it of the industry, but we're going to focus on the federal government contracting industry because the numbers are really big in this industry. You can win a massive prime contract or subcontract right out of the gates. And I tell people that's what you should do. There's not much difference in work between bidding on a large contract that can create generational wealth for you and your family and a very, very, very small one. And in many cases, you'll have less competition for the larger ones. Why? Because a lot of small businesses, they're not going to step up to that Herculean bid and proposal task. This picture, I believe, kind of summarizes it all. You're the dog, you're chasing the car, and now all of a sudden you got a, a mouthful of chrome bumper, and what do you do with it? Well, at this point, it's way too late to start thinking about your infrastructure plan. And I'm calling it a plan because I don't want you spending money until you have to. But if you're this dog and you got a mouthful of bumper, you better have a plan that you can very easily execute and you're not researching. You're not trying to figure it out then. You've got to have something ready to rock and roll. Now, I tell people that you have to have a plan, uh, but that plan could be a binder. It could be a series of folders in your computer. The point is, is you've got to know what your immediate actions are to be able to execute this contract. And I can assure you that they almost all deal with infrastructure. So let's look at the big picture here. Let's start talking about a hot dog stand. So in order to get started, uh, the most important thing is you actually have to have a stand to sell your services from. Now, um, unless you are in the hot dog stand industry, what does that really mean? Well, do you have a website? Do you have a LinkedIn corporate site? Do you have uh, marketing materials, your, your capabilities brief, your capability statement, uh, marketing brochures, business cards, and so on? That's what a storefront is for most services companies. Most small businesses, when they're pursuing bigger businesses to get a teaming agreement and then ultimately a subcontract, I'm going to share a fact with you that most small businesses don't know about. These big businesses, they don't care about how your hot dog tastes. They don't care. You can have the best hot dog in the world and they don't care. It's not going to increase your probability of getting on their bid team. What they want to know is they want to know discrete, tangible things that they can take credit for on their bid and proposal. They want to know that you have a health permit, that you have a food service license. They want to know about your infrastructure, things that they can cite very, very, very specifically on their proposal. Not that you make good hot dogs. Hell, that's implied. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on the team. Uh, when these proposals are scored, they don't they don't give you extra points for saying like he's really, really, really good. And you know, the source selection board saying, like, okay, guys, how many really reallys was that? It's not done that way. They have to hang their hat on something. And the reason why is because uh they've got to prepare themselves 
for a potential GAO protest. And what do I mean by that? The, the source selection board has got to withstand the scrutiny of GAO and they can defend the decisions that they make. And they can't say, wow, his hot dog sounded really, really, really delicious. No, you can't say that. Uh, they're going to say things like, you know, hey, they had a health permit. Their sanitation score was really, really high. They have a food service license or fully legal, things like that. And the services industry, especially in the government contracting world, what are some of the things that are tangible that they get to take credit for? Well, a hard-to-find set-aside status. Not all set-asides do the same amount of each type of work. For example, service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses, you can't throw a cat and not hit five service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses in the national security market space. Go to health and human services, they're hard to find. So if this is a health and human services contract, and you're a service-disabled, better-known small business, now all of a sudden you look like you're something special because it's hard to find that particular type of company. Any type of white-collar service contract, it, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find enough hub zones <laughs> to, to, to give away the full earmark. It, it really is that difficult to find hub zones you know, in the white-collar market space. What are some of the other things that these prime bidders are looking for in a, in a potential subcontractor? things that really differentiate them and can add value to the proposal, like ISO certification. When your bidder gets to say, uh, because you're bringing ISO 9001 quality management systems certification and ISO 27001 information security management certification to the table, they get to say that their bid team follows these globally accepted best practices for those two areas of expertise. Those are really good. Now, I always get this question. What if um, you're Northrop Grumman? Well, Northrop Grumman, they already have these ISO certifications. And that is so true. But the small business set-aside program dictates that on these large prime contract bids, they have to give away approximately 30% of the contract value to small businesses. No matter how much the government loves Northrop Grumman or IBM, and let's go with IBM for just a couple seconds. No matter how much that they love IBM, IBM is only going to be doing approximately two-thirds at most of that bid effort. They're only going to be doing two-thirds of the work. So this is why small businesses having ISO certifications is really important to IBM. And they've got them all. Believe me when I say that. They have them all. Uh, IBM's a great company. I love IBM. Now, what they're going to say, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, <laughs> in their proposal, they're going to say, oh, government, for the two-thirds of the work that we're doing, you know us, you love us, you know you know Watson, you see all of our commercials. We're big blue. We're going to crush the two-thirds that we're going to do. Ah, but you don't have to worry about the third that our small businesses are going to do. Why? Because we have curated the absolute best small business utilization team in industry. Our small businesses are ISO 9001 certified. They're ISO 27001 certified and so on. That's how they use it. They use it to bolster the, the third of the work that's going to be done by small businesses. Now, I use the words Northrop Grumman and IBM because that's what everybody knows and thinks about. However, most of your opportunities are going to be coming from these marquee, massive companies. They have a different pipeline than what most you know, larger companies have. Where most of my opportunities came from and where 
I could say most of the opportunities of all of my small business you know, peers came from are what I call mid-majors. They're big companies. They're certainly graduated from the small business size. And they're somewhere between 50 million and a billion dollars. And I call these companies mid-majors, <laughs> just like in the football. Uh, they're not Alabama's. They're not the, you know, they're not the Florida States. They're not the USC's. Um, but they're also pretty good too. They're the Bowling Greens. They're the Cincinnati's, Bearcats. You know, so these are rock solid teams that every once in a while creep up to um to, to, to knocking on that national championship. These mid-majors, sometimes they grow so rapidly that they're that they're outpacing their infrastructure and their credentialing. And if and I tell companies that if these small businesses that if you have two of these credentials, you have a really solid chance of having one that this mid-major doesn't have. The mid-majors that I, I loved working with because they were great companies was WBB, Kratos, ICF. Um, when I was working with them, they actually benefited from the credentials that I brought to the table. And we had, you know, again, that's where I got nearly all of my subcontracting dollars is from those mid-major companies. So let's press on. Here's the question of the day. What happens if the contract ferry comes up to you, waves your wand, and says, I'm going to give you a simple subcontract? Could you even take it? That's, that's a non-trivial question. I'm going to gift you a subcontract. Could you even take it? Most startups can't. Most small businesses can't. They, they just can't do it. And the reason why is because of event of infrastructure needs. Can they hire employees? Can they manage employees? Can they pay employees? Each one of these are non-trivial. For example, hiring employees. I know that when I started out, I didn't know what the hell an I-9 form was. <laughs> and here I am. I was responsible for verifying them and documenting them uh, that I've obtained them. How do you manage your payroll deductions so you can take out the employee's contributions for part of their own medical and dental and vision insurance? How do you manage those, those benefits? How do you manage a 401k plan? What the hell is a safe harbor? It's like all of these things you're going to quickly realize are very important to you as the founder and CEO of your company. The next thing is, is can you manage employees? Do you have employee policies in a handbook? How do you address the Family Medical Leave Act? Now, this sounds really trivial, and I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. When I won my very first prime contract, I didn't have an employee handbook. I didn't have any policies. I was part of my French, but I was making shit up. You know, somebody would ask like, "Oh, hey, Randy, you know, I, I, you know, how does your company handle military leave for reservists?" And I was like, I said, I was making things up. What I was doing is I was responding to every single one of these questions. And believe me, you will get a ton of these questions. Hey, uh, I just started this month, but I, I've had this vacation scheduled for over the, you know, over a year, my daughter's getting married and she's getting married in California and, and I need to take two weeks off, but I'm not going to have enough leave on the books. How do you handle that? Whoa. I don't know. Let me think about it. And you, you know, when you're, when you're under the gun like that, trust me when I say this, 
that is not the time to be making those types of decisions um, because they stick with you and you've got to be consistent. It, what's even worse than making a bad decision is being inconsistent with your bad decisions. So even if you make a bad decision, you got to be consistent for a while and then you got to figure out how to make, you know, make improvements on that. There are things like equal opportunity reporting. It's, it's like there are reports that you have to provide every single year. Do you know what they are? Do you know how to, to make those reportings? And can you even pay your employees? Can you conduct a payroll? So do you know what Social Security is, FUDA, SUDA, and all these different taxes are? The answer to, again, most startups, they never think about these things. This is the boring stuff. This is the devil that's in the details. And what typically happens is, is a lot of these small businesses, once success finds them, even if it's a you know a contract ferry that waves their wand and gives you a subcontract or a contract, you got to do this part. The ferry doesn't wave her wand and make these things go away. The other thing is, is can you get paid? <laughs> and can you cover your payroll? That's a big deal. Do you have enough cash reserves or access to cash in the form of business loans, factoring, or what have you to be able to cover your first several payrolls before your invoice payments start coming in? Now, I almost won myself out of business with my very first prime contract because I thought I had enough money. And I thought that invoices would kind of take care of themselves. Um, neither were the case. <laughs> so I went um, over five months, uh, probably closer to six months, not making a penny, not getting paid a penny. Why? Because I screwed up my invoicing. And I thought I had plenty of cash reserves. It seemed like a really big number, you know, when you're looking at that number in your checking account, but payrolls, you know, your employees, they want to get paid twice a month, no matter what. <laughs> and that money can go away rather quickly. You'd be surprised about how quickly you will start hemorrhaging money as a small business owner, you know, sitting on a newly one subcontractor prime contract. Here's another question. Can you even track and collect your subcontract expenses? What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have in your cost accounting, you're supposed to um, distinguish between direct labor and indirect labor. What's reimbursable, what's not reimbursable, what's a tax write-off and what's not a tax write-off. There's all these kind of you know uh, accounting terms that unless you're a CPA or you know have a ton of bookkeeping ex experience, this is going to catch you flat-footed. And then finally, Something as simple as are you able to track your employees' time and submit invoices? Can you track your reimbursable costs, such as travel? Man, I tell you what, travel is the biggest pain in the butt in the world when you're starting to, to get on top of a, a subcontract or a prime contract. Travel will screw things up quicker than anything because it's just handled a little differently. And it also gets very complicated very quickly. And I'll give you just a simple trivial example. Let's say that you know your employees were asked to go to a conference and it's a three-day conference and they 
They get, because there are government orders, everything's approved. They get to be able to stay at government rates for their hotel, for their, for their flight, for their car rental. Everything's a government rate. And then all of a sudden, uh, your employees are out there and they're asked if they could stay another two days. So you phone back to your customer and say, hey, you know, they want us out here for another two days to do X, Y, and Z. And your customer says, absolutely, you do whatever it takes to, you know, to, to make them happy and to get this done. So you stay another two days. However, your government rate at the hotel for the next two days isn't available. They have no more rooms at the government rate. Your car um, that the, they were renting, boom. It skyrockets in cost because they're not getting the government rate. Why? Because they're out of cars and they're going to charge you a premium because this wasn't planned. And the same way with the additional cost of having to reschedule your flight back home. So all of these costs um, are there. Now, when when your employees come back, if they're traveling on a corporate credit card where you're fronting the stuff, well, they don't have really any incentives to rush and get all of these travel changes and stuff like that changed. If they're traveling on their own dime and they're waiting to be reimbursed, well, now all of a sudden, you know, they're very vested in, in getting everything pushed through so they can um, so they can get paid and get the, the money that they were covering on their credit card, you know, paid off. But still, it has to go through the government. Why? Because it was a deviation from what was approved. So then you got to go through the cycle. And um, if you if you got a weenie for a contracting officer representative, he's not plugged in, they're going to say, oh, we're not going to pay you all this extra money. You should have used the government rate. And then you try to explain to them. And then it's in that it's going back and forth between your customer, the the customer that's in California and the contracting officer representative to get it approved. So while all that's happening, you're trying to close your books and invoice. It takes a long time <laughs> to close your books when you have that kind of nonsense going on. So it's just delaying you getting paid. So you've got to be able to track those type of expenses in a very efficient way and, and have a plan for that. You also need to have a plan for cash. Cash is king. I never believed that. I thought, oh, what a cliche. But cash flow is king. It really is. I used to work for a multi-billion dollar company. And I remember my very first uh, briefing to the CEO. Um, I was running shotgun on a, on a major capture effort. So I was just there to learn. This was, this was, my, this was my training one. And the CEO... He didn't care, you know, and I was fully prepared to go into our win themes and um, our discriminators and our price to win strategy. He didn't care about any of that. What he was most concerned about uh, was when do we go from red to black on this contract? When do we crawl out of that financial hole where we're cash positive on it? And I didn't, I didn't realize why that was so important until I actually had my company. And that's one of the major concerns that I had. <laughs> when am I going to be able to get this, be able to catch up? Because any major win that you have, or even small win, basically you're giving up money. Um, and then at some point, hopefully you're, you're getting more money than you paid out. And it catches up nicely. So 
in order to be successful in defining your vertical and horizontal markets and building account plans and generating leads, transitioning those leads to bid opportunities, performing capture management on those leads and bid ops, and then finally writing the winning proposal to be awarded a contract, none of that is important unless you have an infrastructure plan where you can execute what you've just won. Again, you will win yourself out of business if you don't. And again, like I said, have an infrastructure plan. It doesn't have to be uh, an, an early investment in those type um, of um, infrastructure requirements. So I'm going to stop right there. Uh, I could go into each one of these different infrastructure areas, such as banking, technology, your office, insurance, you know, all those different things. But I want to leave this at the high level uh, today, and then we'll go into the details later on. I'll talk to you soon.